Um, I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. I'm the type that likes to take a step back and like make sure I'm doing something right. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like this series has afforded that as we looked at what does it look like to be Christ's community. I hope you take the time, whether it's this week or um, in the weeks to come, to go back on iTunes and listen to it again. Um, I think it'll really help shape us as a community if we kind of um, remember a lot of the sayings that have been brought up, uh, this idea of welcoming and inviting. Um, we opened our discussion months ago with a talk about a salad, um, where we talked about what a salad is, that it's a bunch of greens and a bunch of vegetables and a little bit of fruit and the right type of different types of cheeses and nuts and a little bit of olive oil. Bacon. And bacon, yes. And how it highlights the other accents in the salad compared to an American salad, which is, you know, like dump ranch or one sort of dressing all over it, and now it just all tastes like ranch. And we want to be a church that you get to see what the whole body has to offer. Um, we um, then moved on to how to do that properly. Um, that love is what we're supposed to be grounded in. That was week two. Love is supposed to be the trademark of the church, of Christ's community. We are to love our neighbors as... Excellent. You all know it. We are even supposed to love our enemy, which is foolish to the rest of the world. And then we moved out to do that properly, right? Like a baby taking its first steps on what love is. We talked about what is inviting look like? How do we be inviting? How do we welcoming? We talked about how it has to be intentional, intentional, how it can't be a one-time thing. It has to move someone from point A to point B with the intention of doing so, with the intention of doing what we talked about the first two weeks, namely creating a better salad and loving one another well. <clears throat> to find out someone else's uniqueness, to make the salad more whole and loving them for it. Vulnerability was a key aspect that we covered about that, if you remember correctly. And then we moved. Man, my voice is like, kill me. I apologize, y'all. sound like Knox. sound like me. Come on. Even Knox. Okay. And then we moved how we sometimes aren't welcoming, how we sometimes don't do that properly. We spent a whole week talking about cliques, which is just elitism, right, at the end of the day. This idea that you don't belong in my group, so I'm not going to have you in my group because I'm better than you. Or more holy, or cooler, or whatever phrase you want in which you remove people from your circle. We talked about how we need to be past that, because that is not what Christ's community looks like. If you look at the New Testament church, they're all over the spectrum. And then we talked about tabling, which is a concept which we might run with, I don't know, for the rest of the time I'm here. I really like it. Um, where That's where relationships are formed. It's at a table. The best relationships you'll have are, the people, are with the people that you sit around doing the least with. Just sit around doing nothing, tabling together, eating meals, just hanging out. And I hope that becomes... A, a cornerstone of our ministry. We then moved 
into the discussion about some spiritual disciplines that would enhance ourselves and in the process enhance community. Take a sports analogy, if you would, for a second. It's great for everyone to be on the same team, everyone to have the same uniform, everyone to know the same chants and know the same plays. But if everyone stinks at the sport, it doesn't make a good team. So that's where spiritual disciplines come in. If you are able to learn what it's like to intake the Bible, if you learn what it's like to pray, if fasting becomes part of your regular rhythm, we'll talk about worship um, in the coming weeks um, and what we talk about today in service. If these become, these spiritual disciplines become part of your regular rhythm, then you impact your life. But again, back to the sports analogy, I can sit in the backyard all day and learn how to um, play with the soccer ball at my feet and uh, do drills and learn how to do one-two against the wall. And you can go to a batting cage, for those of you that play softball and baseball, and swing all day. And yes, that will improve you. And yes, that will improve your team. But it will also help your team get better when they do those things together. It will make your worship on Sundays more beautiful. It'll make your Bible intake when you're doing it together more beautiful. It'll make your prayer time, if you remember the time we spent in prayer when we were fasting, it'll make that more beautiful and complete. Um, These are the things that when you're doing your spiritual disciplines on your own, they're enhanced when they're in community, which is exactly what we were going for when we're talking about this. Last week, we began the discussion on what to do if suffering happens in the midst of community. How do we invite people back, humble ourselves, point them to scripture, pray, and maybe even fast for their sake? All based on what? Love. All based on love and the belief that reconciliation is more beautiful than isolation. And those are the things that build the church, things that build Christ's community. The two themes, though, that I want to touch on that hover over all those different aspects of the church are these two themes. The first one, your first fill in the blank. The first is being intentional. The first is being intentional. We will only go about being Christ's community if we are intentional about it. This doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional about all these things. The way we do that effectively is working them into the natural rhythm of our lives. Here are a couple of examples I mean. We can intentionally text or reach out to someone new the day after church. We just have to make it a habit. We can be intentional when we welcome someone into our community. We have to have a game plan when they come in the door. We can be intentional in our Bible reading by doing a Bible reading plan. Being intentional is one of the underlying themes of Christ's community. To go back to the sports analogy, you don't accidentally learn how to hit a baseball. you got to take a swing. Another theme that hovers over these ideas is this next fill in the blank, is that is learning to be uncomfortable. Learning to be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable the first time you pray in a group setting. It will be very uncomfortable the first time you fast. And it will be uncomfortable the first time you introduce yourself to a new person. But God does not call us to comfort. He calls us to holiness and joy. And ironically, those are found when we're uncomfortable. 
while we could probably spend a few more weeks on different ideas on what Christ community is, I want to begin to end our series. We're going to do this week, and then we're going to do one more after Easter, on this idea of what service is. Service. Our passage today is found in James 2. I'm going to give you a moment to turn there. If you have your Bibles, or there is Bibles all around you, turn to James 2. We're going to be in James 2, 14 through 26. Clipped right there. Is that not like the best feeling in the world? Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, it was fun. I, I tried saying his name, but it was like... AJ, what is Would anyone like to read? Thank you, Amanda. She's like dying to. I turned right to the page, right? Mm-hmm. Might as well. 14 through 26, whenever you're ready. Okay. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray real quick. Father, as we dive into the meaning of this text, Lord, give us the courage to apply it. This is hard. Stepping out is hard. Um, Looking for ways to serve you can be hard. But Lord, um, you always give us opportunities. Many times we just choose not to take them. And I pray that you give us the willingness to take them as they come our way. In Christ's name, amen. If you watched one of the latest Dude Perfect videos, um, you say um, it, it was the new one that was the new NCAA bracket stereotypes. You, if you saw it, you saw the stereotype of it being the, the long shot fan, being the long shot fan connection, long shot fan connection. It goes something like this. Person one, so who are you going for in the tournament this year? Person two, well, I went to Kansas. Person one, really? You went to Kansas? Person two, well, I went on a tour. Person one, so you're looking at going there? Person two, well, my, my cousin was in town and he was, I, I was in town when my cousin was taking the tour, so I just went along with him. Person one, So your cousin went to Kansas? Person two. No, he went to the community college down the road. Person one. So so that's what it means to you you, when you say, I went to Kansas? Person 
person two. Yeah, and I have them winning it all in my bracket this year. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? But what makes it ridiculous is that it shows this silliness of fandom and how we can grip ourselves to teams. But I also think it points out the ridiculousness of how we grip ourselves to certain identities that aren't true. I mean, I could call myself a baseball player, right? I did, I did make the all-star team in second grade in machine pitch baseball. But that's been over 20 years, right? So I probably should remove that from my identity. I used to call myself an actor, but it's been about 10 years since my last curtain call, so maybe I should remove that from my identity as well. And I would like to call myself humble, hardworking, diligent, responsible. But there are just as many days my pride swells, Netflix comes on a little too quickly, procrastination is the default, and I don't reach my goals. I'm sure you can remember the time when your conscience caught your words in a white lie. You might have said something you were not, but maybe wish you were. Here in this passage, James is pointing out a similar concept. If you look at the beginning, if someone says he has faith. Notice how James could have said that the person had faith, but it's just... That, but it is just the claim of the individual. James doesn't think the person has faith, but the person has convinced himself of it. The person might have done every spiritual discipline we've talked about for the last month. But what for? And this is your next fill in the blank. If you are a Christian, your nature has changed. And while this is a benefit for you, it will slash should be a greater benefit for your neighbor. If you are a Christian, your nature has changed. And while this is a benefit for you, it will slash should be a greater benefit for your neighbor. There is a reason community is stressed in Scripture over and over again. It's what makes this series Christ's community and not Christ's best friend, fill in your name. There is always an outpouring. And an outpouring is the nature of this whole section of Scripture. 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of them says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? So also by itself, it, if it does not have works, it's dead. John Calvin in his commentary said this, the sum then of what is said is that faith without love avails nothing and that it is therefore wholly dead. Focus, boys. So we are called to action outside of us. We are called to serve our brother, our sister, our neighbor, our enemy, that weird guy at school, that annoying girl on the sports team. We are called to serve them. And if you won't serve somebody, then you might have gone to Kansas. And service, love for serving, is the mark of the Christian. 
I think it was one of the things that fell over. Hebrews 9.14 makes that clear, along with Psalm 102, which we walked through a couple weeks ago. Serve the Lord with gladness. I know this phrase is becoming cliche during this series, and you're probably sick of it, but it's your next fill in the blank. Service is expected. Service is expected. And we could talk about different ways that it's expected, but I want to, I'm an actor, right? So I want to get into why we should be motivated to serve. What motivates our service? And that's what we're going to talk about this next part. A lot of this is taken from Donald Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines, Galista Capital. Next fill in the blank. That service would be motivated by obedience. Motivated by obedience. In Deuteronomy 13.4, Moses wrote, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. There is, this is where humility hits the road. This is the self-denial I mentioned last week. It is asking who is the God of my life. It is asking what spirit dwells within me. Am I willing to seek service simply by being obedient? Sure. But if serving others reflects the character of God, that it will rarely be just obedience that motivates us. We'll also be, your next fill in the blank, motivated by gratitude. Motivated by gratitude. Donald says these words. The prophet Samuel exhorted the people of God to service with these. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. 1 Samuel 12, 24. When serving God seems like a burden... Remember the great things that he has done for you, and that will vaporize that burden. If you did the second devotional in the Think Fast booklet, hopefully you saw this. If you didn't, I challenge you to go back into the Think Fast booklet and do it. In the devotion, I challenge you to list 25 things that you could be thankful for, 50 if you are especially hungry. Being thankful is a great motivator. Being thankful is a great motivator. Believe it or not, it can lead to, um, sorry, but gratitude alone can be weighty if not handled properly. Many people, believe it or not, when they're grateful, they feel indebted to the person who helped them. It can lead to bitterness, which is why our next motivation is so important. You need to be motivated by gladness. It's your next one in the blank. Motivated by gladness. Donald writes, the person who can't serve the Lord with gladness contradicts with his heart what he professes with his lips. I can understand why the person who serves God only out of obligation doesn't serve with gladness. I can understand why the person who serves God in an attempt to earn his way to heaven doesn't serve with gladness. But the Christian who gratefully acknowledges what God has done for him or her for eternity should be able to serve God cheerfully and with joy. And I think this is a natural part of our design. Serving is what we were created to do. That's why the majority of people get a high after they serve someone. It's why the whole population on the planet encourages volunteerism, some sort of chivalry, nonprofits. Most people get a chemical brain high off of serving another person, and it makes their service glad. I talked about this last week. It's the doing something before you feel something. 
Many times it is the actions that bring about emotional change, not emotions that bring about the change in action. So even if you don't feel like doing it, serve somebody. And many of the, much of the time, you will find the gladness at the end of your task. Next, motivated by forgiveness, not guilt. Motivated by, for, by forgiveness, not guilt. I say this AJ proverb all the time. It's the difference between the son who mows the lawn for his father, hoping that his father will say, I love you, and the son who mows his father's lawn, knowing he already does. God does not call you to a life of guilt. He calls you to a life of freedom. And that is found in forgiveness. And not just forgiveness of God towards your sin, but your ability to forgive your enemy. Notice again how God uses our actions to change our hearts. I was greatly hurt by a friend in college who just outright lied to me and then went behind my back and did exactly the opposite of the thing that she said she wouldn't do. And as I expressed this to my pastor, his response to me was a call to serve her, both through prayer and by serving her when we were in the same room. It was actions, it was the actions I took and her gratefulness to my actions that made it easier for me to forgive her over time daily when bitterness swelled up. As usual, a great tweet relating to this popped up in my feed last night, so I've added it to our text. You can write this one down, or you can just listen. Our practices form our beliefs just as much as our beliefs form our practices. Our practices form our beliefs just as much as our beliefs form our practices. Michael Horton. Why? Because service reminds us that we're not worthy of the love God has given us, but he willingly served us to the point of death. Therefore, now we have the freedom to serve those who have hurt us, even our enemy, even those who have hurt us, not to guilt someone, but to offer them the same freedom God has given you. But how should I serve, AJ? We've talked about motivation the whole time. Great question. We're going to spend transformation groups going over that. But before we do that, we're going to actually take some tests. 